Psalm 46 is a psalm of confidence. A psalm of confident faith. Hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is Your Word, God. Let us see it. Let us hear it. Arrest our attention. Awaken our minds and hearts to hear with understanding the seed of Your Word planted deep into prepared soil. Let it bring good fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm is written for people who live in troubling times and are tempted to be afraid. Martin Luther knew that temptation. At the very height of the Reformation, when it seemed like the whole world stood against him, because of his stand for the Gospel, he would often run to this psalm. Uh, His good friend Philip Melanchthon later recalled that when things were especially hard, Luther would say to him, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th psalm. And they would sing those now familiar words to us, you know, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And they would be encouraged. Uh, Luther later said that we sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends His church and His Word against all fanatical spirits, against all the gates of hell, against all the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. This is our God, church. And this is the message that we need to hear this morning as we navigate our lives through our own troubling times. That God is our refuge. God is our refuge when the earth is falling apart. That is the picture in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of of the sea, even when the world is falling apart. And so notice the psalm begins in verse 1 with a confession of faith in God. If I just say verse 1 with me, ready? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, 
Look at what you just confessed there. First of all, that God is our refuge. Now, what is a refuge? A refuge is a place to run when you're in trouble. It's a shelter where you flee to find safety in the midst of the storm. When I was a kid, my Uncle Albert had a storm shelter in his backyard, or really in the edge of his field because he had a farm. And I remember one time that a tornado came. This was, after all, Arkansas. And we were all crowded down into that thing. He had a lot of kids. And we were packed into that thing. And the storm raged and hail and lightning and wind and rain. And it was just crazy. But sometimes you need a shelter when the storm is raging around you. And Christian, God is your shelter. Isaiah 25 verse 4 says, For you, God, have been a stronghold, same idea, to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter in the storm. But not only is he a shelter that we can run to and find safety from the storm, protection from the storm. Notice second, he is also our strength. In other words, God gives us strength to stand firm against the fury of the storm. He didn't just hide us. He strengthens us. So here we're talking about an inner strength. Um, the courage to stand firm, even, even as all hell breaks out against you, as it so often will, though this world with devils filled, Luther sang. And so two things in view here. One, God protects us on the outside from the deadly darts of the enemy, but also He strengthens us on the inside to stand firm. He is both a shelter of protection that we can run to, and so we do run to Him and we must run to Him because there is an enemy, but there He cannot touch you. And He gives us strength within to stand and courage to fight. So God is our refuge and our strength. He protects you from the enemy and He strengthens you for the battle. So protection without and strength within. So that third, he says, He is our very present help in trouble. Don't you just love that? Not just present, but very present. Our right here, right now help. So He's not a God who is far off that we can't find. You've got to get some priest. You've got to get some, some ceremony to, to get His attention. He is right here, right now, close at hand. Uh, one commentary said, He is here and He's enough. No matter what else is happening. Uh, Psalm 28 verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Same concept, inner and outer. My strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. I'm helped. So why do we need help? Well, we need help because we're so very often in trouble. Isn't that right? Um, this is a troubled world. You, you had any troubles lately? Anything keeping you up? At night, anything you fear may be happening. This is a troubled world. 
And that is exactly why you need to hear this psalm and take it to heart. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 2, therefore, I will not fear, even as everything around me is given way. So, So pay attention there to the logic of this psalm. Look what it says. Because God is our refuge and strength, therefore, we will not fear even as the whole world falls apart. See that? Do you see, you see the logic? The, the one follows from the other. If verse 1 is true, and God is who He claims to be, then verse 2 must follow, we have no reason to fear. Even if the whole world is falling apart around us, which that is the image here, isn't it? In fact, picture, picture the image in your mind. Again, I've said this is what you need to do with the Psalms. The earth, the earth just falling away beneath your feet. The, the mountains which appear so strong and stable crashing down to powder and falling into the heart of the sea. The ocean just roiling with a tsunami of trouble. So that everything that you thought was stable and secure in the world seems to be falling apart at the seams. And it can seem that way, can't it? It can seem that way on a personal level. I've walked that road with many people over the years. When some unexpected trouble or tragedy crashes into your life, blindsides you, um, we've seen within our body a cancer diagnosis, uh, the loss of a spouse or, or, or even a child, some unexpected tragedy seems to come out of nowhere. When her husband was killed trying to take the gospel to the Aka Indians of Ecuador, missionary Elizabeth Elliot said this, Everything that seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is receding. But then she went on, Yet in such a time it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. But it can feel that way. It can feel like the world is falling apart. It can feel like that on a personal level. It can feel like that on a societal scale. Uh, For many of us today, it, it kind of feels like that. So much that we have depended on to remain solid and secure in this culture in order to preserve it and bless it as God has designed seems to be just falling away in every possible direction. From the stability of the family, and we don't even know what that means now, to the definition of marriage, which we don't even understand anymore. The very idea of male and female, which God established for the flourishing of humanity according to His good creation order. All of that. We live in a world where almost everything uh, has become plastic and pliable and is falling into chaos. Well, that's what's being pictured here. In fact, this picture in verses 2 and 3 is really a picture of the, of the decreation of the world. A reversal of God's good creation design. Think about it. When, when, God, when God created the world, 
What did he do? God created the world in such a way that he established a good and stable place for humanity to live and flourish. By his word, he created everything. And he he separated the waters from the dry land, uh, the mountains from the sea. He set everything in order. And when he finished, he said, it is good. And then sin broke in. Here in verses 2 and 3, that good creation order that God made for our flourishing is breaking down and the world itself seems to be dissolving into chaos. The earth melts, the mountains fall to powder, the sea roars with instability. Under conditions like that, what can people like us do? We have no power to stop the waves. We can't rebuild the broken mountains. I mean, there are broken things in this culture we are powerless to fix, even if we knew how to fix them. There's a societal rot we ourselves cannot heal. And that's where the fear comes in. These problems are just too big for us, and we are so small and so often outnumbered. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, verse 2 gives the answer. Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Because God is with us. Verses 4 and 5 are going to give the furtherance of that picture. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of God Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Everything else is moving. Everything else is crashing. It's all dissolving, but not God and that which He upholds. So the answer is, Christian, you look up. Look up. Lift your head to the heavens amidst the rubble and noise. Uh, Because reigning above the chaos of earth is the everlasting God of heaven. He is your refuge and your strength, a very present help in trouble. One of my commentaries I was looking at said that when the landmarks of our world begin to dissolve and we lose all orientation, we can still declare the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, because He is our orientation, not the landmarks of this world. Therefore, do not fear. Do not fear, children. Do not fear, but look to Him. Which brings us to the second thing in this psalm. God remains our refuge, even as the nations around us rage. Again, verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so we look up and what do we see? We see God reigning in peace and joy for the security of His people. But notice how this psalm shifts your eyes from the chaos of this disintegrating world to the stability of God's kingdom. 
And so in contrast to the chaotic churning of these earthly waters, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Just just the, the, the distinction between those. Now, normally, city of God would point you to Jerusalem. But, but earthly Jerusalem had no such river as this. In fact, all it had was a little a trickle of a stream just outside the gates called Gihon. And that's one reason they were so very vulnerable to attack. Uh, Jerusalem rarely knew this kind of peace, even down to today. Earthly Jerusalem has no such river. But New Jerusalem does. That eternal heavenly city, God's dwelling place. Both Ezekiel and Zechariah describe that city with a river of living water flowing down through its midst. Revelation then picks up on this same image in Revelation 22, 1 and 2. As the angel shows John, he says, a river, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the very midst of the streets of the city. On either side of that river, uh, there is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Now, now, what is that a picture of? Now, ultimately it's a picture of something that we shall see. But here it is an eschatological picture, a picture uh, describing for us uh, that, 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 that final goal and final standing place of God's kingdom as God sovereignly reigns over all things to bring an end to the chaos and the brokenness of sin. It is also, by the way, a callback to Eden because... Here also we see the image of that river that flowed from that, through that place, that temple, that tree of life uh, that gave life to all who ate it. All of that in the presence of God. And all of that here being restored in the new Jerusalem to bring joy and blessing to His people. And by the way, all of that now depicting the, the sovereign, serene reign of God in heaven at this very moment. Do you understand? This picture is meant to evoke in us a great confidence in God Most High, the God who reigns eternally. So that we see that all of the chaos and confusion that rolls through this earth and, and shakes up our lives cannot disturb the majesty and stability of the sovereign God enthroned in heaven. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And He pleases to reign for the good of His people. And because He is reigning in absolute sovereignty, nothing in heaven or on earth below can keep Him from being the help of His people when they cry out to Him. Do you see that? Verse 5, the river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. There's verse 4, verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Everything else is being moved. She's not. God is in the midst of her. Do you, do you understand that? If we are the people of God, God is in our midst. Church, listen. This, this is the, our greatest asset and our surest comfort in troubling times that God dwells among us through Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. 
So much so that we can say, using these words, God is in the midst of us. We shall not be moved. God will help us as morning dawns. What hope? What confidence this gives us to hold on to no matter what may be happening in the world around us. Do you see that? To understand that God is with us. God is in the midst of His church right now. Paul says the same thing pretty much in Romans 8 when he says if God is for us, who can be against us? And frankly, who cares who's against us? Dear church, our our security is founded on this. Not our strength, not our power, not our wisdom or craftiness, but this one thing, that God is in our midst. That He is near. That He is here. That He is working for our good and His glory. Listen, this is the most important thing that can be said about us. God is with us. This is the most important thing for you to know and remind yourself of and encourage your brothers and sisters with and to teach your children about when they fall into despair. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Second, He, the one who's with us, is mighty to save. That's what the second half of verse 4 means. Verse 5, I'm sorry. God will help her when morning Dawns. Now think of that. That means the terrors of the night, the terrors of the darkness, will not last. Do you remember Israel at the Red Sea? Surely you do, most of you. How they were terrified at the approaching hoofbeats of the chariots of Pharaoh swooping down upon them, ready to destroy them. Do you remember what God did? Through Moses... He divided the chaos of the sea so that His people could pass through on dry ground. He saved them. But then what happened? Do you remember? Exodus 14.26 Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea again that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course. Uh, When the morning appeared... And so the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. He destroyed them and they were no more. But did you notice what time of day did that happen? As the morning dawned. That's the picture here in Psalm 46. This is a callback to that event so that we can see no matter how great the enemy, no matter how dire the situation, if God is in our midst, He is mighty to save and will save His people when, when the morning dawns. Right At the advent of Christ, ultimately it's talking about, but, but when, the, when God says it's time, His salvation comes flowing in. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be threats. It doesn't mean... There won't be enemies and suffering and times when you are afraid and everything seems hopeless. No, no, in this world, we're going to have such times. Jesus told us that. I mean, look at verse 6. He immediately switches back to the nations. The nations, what are they doing? They rage. The kingdoms totter. Those nations 
refer to those who are not His, those who have set themselves against God and His reign. It is, in fact, the same picture, believe it or not, that we're getting in verse 2 and 3 about the chaos of the broken world. We know that because the words that He uses in these two sets are the same. Verse 3, the waters roar. Verse 6, the nations rage. Verse 3, roar. Verse 6, rage. Same word. Rage. Roar. Verse 2, the mountains quake. Verse 6, the kingdoms totter. Again, it's the same word. If you're reading this in the Hebrew, it kind of stands out. You see that. And why? What's the point? The point is that the chaos that we are seeing in verses 2 and 3 point us to the result of man's rebellion and sin. It is the raging of these rebel nations. It is the proud arrogance of men and women who exalt themselves against God's sovereign rule. So when you read this, don't think nations like Germany and China. Think of peoples and powers who assemble themselves against God as rebels at war with Him. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. I think Jason's going to preach this in a few weeks. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3 paints the same picture. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of this earth set themselves and their rulers. They take counsel together against the Lord and against His Messiah, saying, Oh, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Well, that's what people are saying today, is it not? Let's be done with any kind of rule or order God has given. We don't need them. We will exalt ourselves against Him. And oh, by the way, you were once a part of this rebellion. You you may have led in this rebellion. You would still be in that same rebellion had not Christ captured your heart by grace. But this is mankind in arrogance raging against the sovereignty of God demanding autonomy. My body, my choice. My truth is the only truth that matters. And yet every proud kingdom we build in opposition to God will come crashing down when He speaks the Word. Every earthly power, every major influencer, every social media guru, all cultural elites, every proud politician or despot or dictator, every bully who has abused or misused or misled another will fall. When? When God speaks His word of final judgment, the kingdoms rage, the the, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but He utters His voice. And the nations, the earth, the world melts. He who brought this world into existence with a word will end it the same way. Enough, he will say. And all opposition will melt away. What a picture. Again, Psalm chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, says the same. He who sits in the heavens laughs at man's pathetic attempt to overthrow him. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath. There's that word. And terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King, Christ, on Zion, my holy hill. You don't have a chance to take Him down. Yeah. 
You talk about being on the right side of history. All the foolish bellowing of this vain world will be silenced. And God's voice will be the only one left ringing in the air for all eternity. The God of glory thunders. This is the God who is with us in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. By the way, notice again how verse 7 takes our minds right back to Him, away from the nations to Him. We are meant to see Him here. We're meant to see Him first in His power. He is the Lord of hosts. It means He is the Lord of armies. Armies so powerful, no one can stand against Him. And second, we're to see Him in His grace. Because our fortress is the God of Jacob. Now, why Jacob? I would have thought, Abraham, why Jacob? Remember, you remember Jacob? What a mess. Always getting into trouble. Rarely did things right. Yet chosen by God through grace to receive His blessing. Isaiah 41 verse 8 even calls Him Jacob whom I have chosen. Hey, that's what it means to be the people of God. Not the people that's got it together, but the people who by the grace of God have been chosen to be His, who who through faith have believed and are standing firm in His promises. We didn't get here because we're smarter or better or more deserving than anybody else. We got here because God in His grace has chosen us in Christ to receive the mercy we don't deserve. Ephesians 1.4 Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And so this God of power and grace is with us. That's why we don't fear. Which brings us into the third thing. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. And the God who is our refuge will soon end all opposition and establish His peace forever. Verse 8, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, He says, see the works of the Lord. Do you see that's an invitation? And really it's a command invitation. You are being commanded to stop what you're doing right now and look to see what God has done. So put down your phone. Stop being distracted by all the noise and look to God because He's about to give you a glimpse into the future He is preparing. He's going to show you what He's about to do with this world. Come and see the utter devastation of all who oppose Him. That's what the end of verse 8 means. Desolation is the aftermath. It's what the battlefield looks like when God's judgment is finished. It won't be pretty. This word pictures something that causes you to draw back in horror when you see it. You know, I'm very grateful that I came up in a generation where I've never had to see a battlefield. I have never witnessed the carnage left behind after a hard battle. Some here in this room have. And I know strong men who have seen such things who still tremble to this day when they think about them. We we ought to honor the bravery of those who faced such. But no matter what they have seen, 
It pales in comparison to what will be seen on this earth when God unleashes His final judgment against all who continue in rebellion against Him. Doubt that? Just read the prophets. Just read Revelation 19. Don't be squeamish about coming judgment. Because that's how God's righteousness will finally be revealed. That's how God is going to set things right. Sin's rebellion will be ended and this sad age of man's oppression and violence will be brought to an end so that the righteousness of God is exalted forever. And then he says, all war will cease. Verse 9, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots. All the implements of war. Sinful man's ability to do harm will on that day be ended forever. We get that picture in Isaiah 11 verse 9. He says, After that, they shall not hurt or destroy at all on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think of it. Every opposition, every sinful inclination of man's heart will be put down forever and the redeeming knowledge of God will so permeate this earth that all war and violence will be ended forever. And Isaiah 2.4 will come true and they shall never again learn war. Why? Because those who make war and violence in their opposition against God will have been put down forever. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So imagine with me, and this is much better than John Lennon's imagine. Imagine... There is coming a day in the mercy of God when all mankind's violence and hatred will be ended forever. War will be no more. Murder will be no more. There will one day come the last murder and then never again. Sin will be no more. Abortion will be no more. The last one is going to take place one day. Rape will be no more. Human trafficking will be no more. There will never again be starving children because wicked men refuse to let the supplies get through. There will be a last time that anyone is abused or taken advantage of or betrayed or harmed. All these things will come to an end. When God steps in and bring man's sorry rebellion to an end as He exalts His righteousness and peace forever. That's what's in view in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. By the way, this verse is not the lullaby we tend to think it is. Be still and know that I am God. No. No, that is not how this is written. This is a sovereign shout to end the rebellion and bring the foolish world back into life. Be still! He says, hush now! Stop it! Be quiet! 
Stop your mad raving. Cease and desist. All your foolish striving. Your day, man, it's done. Shut up, world, and pay attention. I'm about to speak. It is time for you to be silent and hear what I have to say. It's a lot like what Jesus did to the wind and the waves in Mark 4.39. Raging around them, disciples terrified. Jesus stands up and says, Peace, be still. Shut up, wind. Sit down, waves. Because I am here. I'm in charge of this whole thing. Well, that's what God is going to say to this raging world. Shut up. Sit down. Why? Because God is on His throne and it is time for the earth to be subdued before Him. Habakkuk 2, verse 20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. And again, that is an eschatological vision. That is what is coming. That is that final day when God brings it all together in sin forever, exalts righteousness, and He shouts, Be still! But notice, not just be still, but what? Be still and know that I am God. I'm the one who's going to be exalted over all nations. I'm the one who's going to be exalted over this earth. Be still and know Me. Okay, be sure you're listening. Do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand? This is the goal of history. Again, you want to be on the right side of history? This is the only one you want to be on the right side of. Because this is where history terminates. With everything in existence flat on its face, acknowledging the supremacy of God. That's what verse 10 is saying. Shut up! Quit your yammering so you can see who I am and worship me. This is reality, folks. This is what your existence is all about. Seeing Him. Acknowledging Him. Bowing before Him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, if your view of the world does not acknowledge Him like this, your view of the world is tragically wrong. In fact, I would say fatally so. And the blood you will eventually have on your hands is your own. Because to fail to acknowledge and live for God, to live in a God-made, God-ruled world and yet refuse to acknowledge and worship Him is suicidal. Because this is the end game of history. This is the goal toward which all things are moving. This is why Christ came. Romans 14.9 He came for this purpose to be Lord of both the living and the dead. And for us as believers to see that, to know that, this is our comfort. This is the source of our confidence and joy and assurance in this chaotic world that no matter what's going on in this temporary planet that is falling apart at the seams, that cannot stand on its own, God reigns. That's why verse 11 ends as it does with the repetition of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. This God of power stands with us. Run to Him. This God of grace opens His arms and says, flee to Me and find My salvation. And so it is in Him 
that we trust. It is to Him we give our confidence. And dear one, it is to Him you must go. Whatever the chaos in your life is, whatever the fear is, or even if you're not facing those now, things seem good. Well, hang on, they're change. And you need to run to Him now. And keep running to Him. And keep letting Him be your place of security. And keep uh, letting Him be the one who gives you the grace that you need. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 presents a final picture. I'll just close with this. Revelation 21, 3. In fact, just stand with me. And I'm going to read this and, and close this in prayer. Revelation 21, verse 3. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. Speaking of believers, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have all passed away. And then he goes on to say, Behold, I am making all things new. And Lord, all things are new in You. It's Your Word. This troubled world will, will end its rebellion and Christ will be seen by every eye to be reigning. And we who have been waiting on Him, willing to suffer with Him that others may hear Your Gospel, willing to walk with Him though derided and hated, we will see Him on that day and we will celebrate. And though heaven and earth will flee away at the at the view of this One who comes to reign, those who are trusting You will find that You draw near and their salvation draws near in You. So Lord, we, we say these things and we, we, we hear this Word not to say, let the world fall apart, but to say, let the Gospel go forward and bring as many out of the fire as possible. Let the Gospel go forward and change as many hearts as possible. Lord, You changed our hearts. We didn't do that. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You did it by mercy. We pray that You would do that same merciful act of salvation with many, many, many others. Make us bold. Let us stand firm against the assaults of the enemy, ultimately the, the, the one who is the devil, who stands against all the work of God. Let us stand firm no matter what is said about us, no matter what losses that brings, losing jobs, losing houses, losing lives. Because standing with Christ, this Christ, the God of armies, the merciful Lord of Jacob, this is the one that we love and embrace. Help us to live in light of His coming. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.